You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. We're going to get right into our sermon and communion here this morning, a little different format. And I get to introduce our speakers. Uh, they are longtime friends of Francis and mine. Um, Marianne was born in Denver, raised in Phoenix. She's been a teacher for the last 14 years. She has her master's in French, so she may speak French to you. She may speak English. You never quite know what's coming out. <laughs> Keith uh, was born in Inglewood, right here. That's right, but raised in Vegas. Uh, they both have been uh, disciples for a long, long time. Keith, 35 years. Marianne, I think about the same. I didn't quite do the math, sorry. Um, Keith is an accountant. He has his uh, uh, bachelor's in accountant, and for the last 20-some years, he's been the chief operating officer for the L.A. Church. Not just our west side here, but the entire group of churches that meets in this whole metropolitan area. So large church as a whole, we have probably over 100 employees and in all these different regions and parts of the area. So there's a lot of administrative work, and Keith's oversaw that for the last uh, 20-some years. So they've been very, very instrumental uh, in the church here and uh, in, in the kingdom uh, worldwide as well. It's funny, when Francis and I moved here, they were leading the small group that we happened to join. And now for the last six months... Uh, They've also been leading the small group that we've been in. And even once or twice in between there, we've been in one of their small groups. So we keep seem to bounce in and out of each other's lives uh, that way. But uh, they are two of the most faithful disciples and two of the most loyal friends uh, that we have that uh, we could commend to you. Uh, Keith, I also known him to just to be a quick repenter. When he has been shown something, a sin in his life or something, he just will repent quickly once he sees it. And uh, they're about to start a new chapter of life. So we've given them the honor and asked them to come and talk to us this morning. And uh, they're going to talk more about that. I won't spill the beans. But uh, anyway, without further ado, Keith will share first. Uh, he'll have a sermon, and then Marianne will come and share for communion. So Keith and Marianne Rose. Okay, so I don't know how to organize this. Can you hear me? Or do I need to move the mic up here? That works? Great. Well, good morning. Um, I get to share and try to capsulize in 30 minutes. Fortunately, I'm an accountant and I don't like speaking publicly, so I probably will do that. I'll hit the 30-minute mark. But I have to uh, cover 29 years of being in L.A., if we'd have stayed one more year, next we, we would have been here for the 30th anniversary of the church and our 30th anniversary of moving to L.A. I, I, I have... Uh, Does it need to move? Okay. Thanks, Mike. Mike has been here just a little less time than I have. But I can share a little bit about that when I talk about uh, the Braith Bible Talk. But uh, anyways, we've been here for a very long time. But 
I want to share my, my scripture that I read when I led my first Bible talk 35 years ago. Because it was one that was meaningful then, and it's got a lot of meaning now, and I wanted to share with you how I feel like it has meaning to me as it relates to the time I've got to spend in Los Angeles. If you turn over to Romans chapter 5, and I just recently read through all of Romans and recommended it. It's been was awesome. I actually read Gordon Ferguson's book, which was really helpful. I, I, I really was uh, moved by it and really... Uh, just grounded me in so many different ways. But uh, Romans 5 was when I, just when I became a young Christian, I, I love the scripture. Verse 6 says, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I became a Christian 35 years ago. I was powerless. I couldn't live the life I needed to live to attract the type of woman I wanted to marry. I had to change my life to attract my wife. I would say she also had to change her life. It was God just sort of worked us all together. We were both in the wrong universe and got into the right universe of God, and then we could have a godly relationship. But it was just the right time. I was working for a big A firm. I needed some direction in my life. I was not happy. So at that point, I got converted. I lived in Phoenix for about four years after that time. Then in 1989, we'd uh, been married for four years, Marianne and I, and we were very happy. We were building a new house, or we at least had contract on one. I worked for a home builder. Um, her dad had volunteered for us to be part of a, a country club, the Paradise Valley Country Club, be junior members. That would have been potentially the worst thing we could have done, but that's, what, that's how comfortable we were. And so God quit. Home stopped getting built. I lost my job. There was no job I could find. I interviewed for a year, could not find a job. For a lot of reasons, there were 100 people with my capabilities in Phoenix that all got laid off, whether it was through Lincoln Savings or through uh, a home builder that I worked for. So God made me have to interview outside of Phoenix. I had to move. But I would call it just at the right time I had to move. Now, in that process, I had to make some decisions. So I'm from Las Vegas, but at that time we didn't really have a fellowship that, that I knew I could worship at and really be taken care of. But I got a great job in Vegas. I knew everybody. My dad was a lawyer there. We really reconnected. I could have gone to Vegas. I got a great offer. Marianne goes, we're not even going to go look at it. <laughs> because it wasn't the right thing spiritually for us. Then we interviewed in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. Um, just let's say I'm a much better fit for Los Angeles than San Francisco. So I had two job offers in L.A., I came out, met with the church leaders at that time. There were 50 people in the L.A. church. So, you know, they have the original 50. Well, we're 51 and 52, essentially. So we weren't original 50, but we came right afterwards. And we actually, I just took the job that was closest to where they wanted me to live. They wanted me to live in the South Bay, so I took a job at Midwilshire. The other job was up in the north. So that's how we got out here. But I think God planned 
the job, the move for me. I needed it. I needed to get out of my comfort zone. I wasn't going to be, I'd be comfortable if I just stayed where I was. But I hadn't made the decision to move, never even thought about moving to L.A. In fact, you go, L.A.? I go, okay, so I move in, and being the accountant, I go, okay, so I'm paying three times the rent (laughs) compared to the mortgage payment on the house I owned, and the house was half the size. (laughs) I go, okay, the math did not work well for me when I got to L.A. Um, And then traffic and driving. It's amazing how shockingly different it is. We... We had circumstances where we had to travel back to Phoenix one week after getting to L.A. A friend of ours had been in a car wreck and, and he had passed away. So we had to go back to that funeral one week after getting here. We fly back into L.A. We're taking our car and we're driving uh, to the place we're going to stay and we go through Paradise Valley. We think there's a power outage in Phoenix, literally. We go, where's the power outage? And we just realize the city is so much quieter it feels like a power outage compared to the activity that's in L.A. So we were in a new location. Um, we were also accidental ministry, on an ex, we were accidental missionaries. We didn't come to a church planting. We came to get a job. Needless to say, L.A. was a church planting with a lot of high expectations. We w- were pushed out of our comfort zone from day one. We were used to going about 15 minutes to midweek. We lived in Torrance, and for the first year, the midweeks were in West L.A., and everyone knows what that commute looks like on a Wednesday night, and don't be late, okay? <laughs> and, then, and then, to make it better, the second year, we went to Hollywood, so they added another 10 miles to our commute, and the whole church met there initially. So there was a lot of getting used to all of that, um, but we did get to have our faith increased at the right time. We saw 50 people grow to 1,000 people in a couple of years. We converted some of our best friends. If you know Kim and Paul Hammond, God brought them into our lives. Kim just sort of turned herself in, so I don't know if we reached out to her, but she just showed up and said, I need help. If you know Kim, that's what she does. And then she volunteers that Paul also needed help. So, um, so anyways, but it was a great time down in the South Bay. They're still some of our best friends. You know, we took first principles five times in two years. If you don't know what it is, it's a good thing to take, but five times in two years seems a little excessive. Um, but life was not comfortable, but we were inspired by God. A day to the year, that, to the, we moved out September 2nd, 1989, and September 2nd, 1990, Amelia was born. So we'll talk about parenting a little later in my lesson here, but God gave us our first, our daughter, and then two years later gave us our son. But I had to get out of my comfort zone just at the right time. And as I'm talking about this, you should think about things that maybe you need to get out of. It may not be your comfort zone. It may be one of three or four areas I'm covering. But you need to let God get you out of it. He will. And we did not plan this move. We did not plan living in L.A. We had no idea. Uh, parents thought, why are you moving with all those, all the parents that would just say, what are you doing with all the freaks and geeks in L.A.? That's sort of what, <laughs> you've all met her dad, he's come out, but that's just, you know. But we were doing it for a missionary reason, and it was great. I also needed to sur- surrender my career goals. I'm very driven. Literally, in high school, I mean, I had to talk to because I would just worry. I had two grades, acceptable and bad. 
I can get A's and B's were bad. That's how I viewed life. And of course, in the working world, you view life by how much money you make, how successful you are. And I had a very successful job in, L- in Phoenix, but of course, I lost it because the company went out of business. But God knew I needed to change. So for the first two years, I worked for CalFed Bank. It was a decent job. And actually, it was a lot easier than the last job, which was helpful because of all the things we were doing in the ministry. It was perfect. But God gave me the opportunity to meet Tom McCurry, who recruited me to be in administration. And I really, my conviction was, I, I need this job. Because I need a job that supports me, but, not, but a job that's not about making money, and a job that uses my talents for God. Now, I don't want to stop any of you who have jobs that make money, keep making it, do it. But for me, this is what I needed. Because I would have just always wanted to be more successful, more successful, more successful. Maybe God could have trained me better and I could have learned more. But working for the church and taking on the administrative challenges here was exactly what I needed. But I didn't plan that. There was, I never met a full-time administrator before moving to L.A. I mean, we had part-time. I volunteered sometimes to help out in Phoenix. But there was never such a thing as a full-time administrator. But God gave me that. I got to use my talent to help the kingdom and support my family. That's what I needed just at the right time. God gave it to me. Uh, I had also lost my father at 18. So I really didn't have any father figures in my life. Because even when I got converted, I had a bunch of people my age, and it was campus ministry, but there weren't any father figures. Fortunately, and so I'll be, one's a father figure, but really a big brother, Tom McCurry, you know him. He mentored me when I came to work. He taught me so much about being a dad, so much about character, so much about uh, working with ministers. You know, ministers like to go out and do a bunch of stuff. And if you're an accountant, you go, how could you possibly have made that decision? I'm sure that surprises you that I would say that or the ministers would do something that would make me say that. But what Tom taught me is that always believe they had a pure heart about what they were doing. They're not necessarily administratively minded, and you may need to teach them. And so it helped me because I go, okay, they didn't do this deliberately. They just aren't thinking the way I think. But he taught me that. Then I had Cecil Wooten. Cecil Wooten uh, retired from Chicago Bridge and Iron. He was the number, it's a Fortune 500 company, and he was the chief operating officer. So he worked, oversaw the worldwide operations. He became a disciple in his 70s. He volunteered for the church. He just mentored me. He was a great dad. I didn't have that, and I don't know where I was going to get that. But God gave that to me at my work. Uh, not to mention just the years, um, which I'll share about later, under helping with our marriage. But Alan Gloria also was the same way. They gave to us. We, we've had the, four, you know, we've been here 29 years. About 20 of those years, Alan Gloria have been in the same ministry with us. So we've always had them as good friends and good parents and examples for us. Um, but the other thing for me, obviously, if I'm driven and I want to be successful, I have to have some activity to do. So just doing L.A. would probably have bored me at some point. So early on, God gave me the opportunity to work with the Middle East churches. I know we're giving special contribution today. I've worked with the churches in the Middle East for the last 25 years on and off. I can tell you that they appreciate everything we give. If you ever get the opportunity to go, go. 
some girl from Fresno saw an advertisement for the conference in Cairo. She booked the flight and just showed up and then paid her registration fee at the door. Let's just say I don't suggest doing it that way. I mean, it's, like, it's Cairo. You should probably have someone meet you at the airport and take you to the, where the place was. But she had a great time. But the people there love it. They love anything you can do. We saved up our money, Mary and I did, and decided one year when our kids were about 10 and 12 to take them to the family re- retreat in Jordan. And it was great. We went with the Bairds. We got to teach a mar- marriage class, a family class. Um, but you don't want to do that with your kids with them, though, because they got to ask our kids whatever they wanted. So these are disciples that really want to get it right. So, so one of them asked Alex, they go, so is there anything your dad has ever done that would cause you not to want to study the Bible? So these are the questions they're asking. <laughs> Ow, I know. Uh, they were very benevolent then, but maybe they gave him a sidebar later. But those are the kind of things. God gave me that opportunity. And honestly, I like to do a lot of things, and it, it really helped me to be able to give to people in third world. And it's also the time I learned there are people that need our help that are never going to be able to afford some of the things that we afford. I always thought, you know, you work hard, get a break, something can happen well to you. There are countries where that's just not true, and it's just sobering. But they're good-hearted disciples. They, I've known a lot of them for 25 years. I've seen them raise up their kids. Every time I come into town or they come here, they'll ask you questions about childbearing. They, so what you give really does matter. And it's a very harsh environment to be a Christian. They can't share publicly most of the times. They can't, you know, meeting sometimes. They get moved around. It's dangerous. So your support for that is very, very helpful and needed. And I can attest to it, but I can also attest that it was something I needed. The other thing God gave me at work and I'll just list the current ones, but I have lots of friends that have worked long-term with me uh, at, at, in administration. I needed friends, and God gave them to me even at work. And, you know, uh, Brian Gold, uh, Cindy Whitcomb, Turnwall, Chris Yen, Robin Heskett, Doris G., and hundreds of others. They've been my family at work. It's been great. And one of the reasons that, you know, I'm, I'll be transitioning out to work for Hope Worldwide. You'll hear that at the end, and most of you know that probably now. But I'm able to do that because these, all these individuals are ready to take over. So it's been very, very uh, encouraging. So in some senses, it's probably the right time for a lot of them to take more responsibility. And God moved me. Um, then I just sort of have, I've, I've tagged in my little lessons here, Keith's recommendation for work. So a couple things I recommend about work. If you don't have a job, find something, if you're in school, find something you like doing that you're talented at. You start with that, and then you can go figure out how to make money with it. But find something you really like. Don't go get a job just because it makes money if you don't like it. I like numbers. I like accounting. I make a living at it. I've seen people who really, you need to figure out how to make a living with what you like, but ask yourself what you like doing. The other one, if you're a boss, I'd say your number one goal as a boss is to be a protector. Like, you don't mess with my staff. Like, if somebody doesn't take the appropriate care or treat them respectfully, I will be giving someone a phone call, and we will have a talk about my staff. So I'll challenge my staff, but respect people that work for you and protect them. That was just one of my things I've learned here. And I've, everyone that works for me has worked, the average is almost 15 to 20 years. Protect the people that work for you, whatever that means. 
So those are just my little tidbits as I'm going along. Since I only do this every once in a while, I can sure share. Um, the other thing I needed, we came here, we needed to forge deep friendships and family groups and honestly just build our own family. So when we moved in, we moved to the South Bay. I think Mike Keys had not been baptized yet, was baptized within a few weeks. I don't know what, what, what date, October something? Okay, so he got baptized 12 days after we showed up. So I think I might have been in on the cost counting or spending some time with him right then. But it was, um, but it was with Chuck and Carol, who are lifelong friends. And it's just great. I, we love hanging out with them. Uh, a couple years ago, maybe two years ago, Mary and I were not agreeing on something. And she called Chuck, and Chuck came over, hung out, we spent some time. And then he discipled me. That's, what, that's how you know you have a lifelong friend. They show up, they eat your food, they may have a glass of wine, and then they disciple you. That's your lifelong friends you have in the kingdom. But I love it. He was, he was gentle, but he told me what I needed to hear as a friend, and he's got 30 years, 30 plus years of knowing me. So I needed that, and God gave that to me. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, God's powerful, but we're powerless. So many families don't work, but God makes our families work. Um, we raised our children in the church with other families. We raised our kids with the thorns and with the wingies and with the Braves, and with many others. We are eternally grateful for Reuben and Marina, as are all the parents my age, what they did for our kids and the way they helped us. And they were great. And we allowed them, as younger people, to come talk to us. I know Marina and Reuben showed up and talked to us about things we needed to work on. I know they've talked, they talked to the thorns. They were part, we had an interaction with them. We loved them. They loved us. They helped us with our kids. That's God. That's how God works. And that's really having true friendship. Um, you need the help and support of each other. Sometimes you just need someone to go, yeah, that's really, I'm sorry for you. That, that hurts. No solution whatsoever to your problem. They just know it hurts. And a lot of times I've learned there's a lot of things I don't have the answer to other than going to God in prayer. But it's nice to have someone at least empathize that, yeah, that's rough. <laughs> Sometimes you just validate that what I'm going through is rough is helpful, even if you don't fix it. Of course, I always try to fix it sometimes, and then I get in trouble. But um, I really believe we need the family of God to raise a godly family. I want to say that again. We need the family of God. We need this group here to help us raise a godly family. We cannot do it by ourselves. We need other people that are reliant on God, praying for God, trusting God to help us build the family we need. Um, you know, over the years, I would say we've had hundreds and more likely thousands of people in and out of our home in L.A. We've been in L.A. 29 years. Um... We used to have singles in our group, and we'd feed them every night. 
And then like one week, Marianne was traveling or doing something, she wasn't there, and they came over, and I go, shoot. <laughs> I better order pizza because <laughs> they're all coming. You know, I forgot to prepare the food for them. But we just created that family. And those people are still family to us that have, have come over. We had one guy who was getting remarried, um, and he called me up and go, can you do my wedding? So we got with him and his fiance and talked. And I did his wedding. If you know James Eager, I did his wedding about four or five months ago. But he's still part of our family and he's still, he's moving to Orlando, and he connected with Alex, who's out there, and going, you know, family groups should stay family long-term, whether you're with them or not with them anymore. So there's so many people that are still part of my family, even if I'm not in their group or meeting with them this week. Um, but, uh, and then the scripture i like just to share that I think is really great is Galatians 6, verse 10. Therefore... As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the families of believers. You know, you just want to you just want to do good to people. You want to have them in your home. You want to take care of them. My kids were always wondering who's coming over tonight. You know, that's the kind of that's that's what you want to do. Um, I just suggest in family groups make them families. If they're a Bible talk, still make it a family. Celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, deaths, people trying to have people, people having to have adoptions, people with their kids having challenges. And if you have kids, you have challenges. So anybody who has kids has challenges. Um, And build it. Spend time together. I'm a big advocate of quantity time and hope quality shows up. That's what I think with kids. You know, people say, I want to spend quality time with my kids. My kids, sometimes I drive around and they sit in my car and say nothing. Other times I put them in the car and they, I just sit there and I find out everything I wanted to know until I started asking questions and then nothing happened. Then they, then if you want to turn off the knob with your kid talking to you, just ask questions like, click. They change the channel on you. But they will talk. Um, but also, to get, you need to be in a group where people see you so they see how you behave. In our family group, our family group could tell if Mary and I were bumping before we came over. We're better at it now, but back then we were, it was pretty ugly sometimes, and, you know, they would know, and they'd talk to us. Uh, I like to quote Marty Fuquay, takes a year to build about a year relationship. So there you go. You want to have a good year-long relationship, you've got to spend a year at it. Um, I also needed to learn to be a husband and a father. But I'll start with a husband and what I realized, the most important thing for us is that we are unified. Marianne and I are unified, and we're connected, and we're connected to God. We advocate doing something every day where you can connect. And what we do is we go walk, we go pray. Sometimes we have a fight walk, but we do that almost every day. And it's really helped us stay connected in the morning. I mean, actually, in this last month, in the transition, that hasn't worked out, but I assure you that we'll be walking when we get to San Diego daily. Get back to that. Uh, the other thing that we learned in our relationship is we need to have other people, allow other people into a relationship. We, and, and the stuff I'm saying for married and kids, if you're not married and don't have kids, this is the stuff, th- these same principles apply to relationships that you have. And you just need to, they're good. You need to have other people 
if you have a relationship that you're really close with someone, the closer you are to someone, the more likely you are you're going to have tension. We let other people into our marriage. You know, in the last year, the Shumps have been in our marriage, Pelizarius have been in our marriage, the Adamis have been in, other people have been into our marriage, we let them in. And, uh, and a lot of times, it's just letting people in that aren't you. So if you're older, a younger person can give you a lot of input because they're not, they have no tension. So, you know, Kendall and Allie could walk into our house and they could probably help us if we were bumping. They would have really good advice and we should listen to it. <laughs> because it's not them bumping. It's because it's we. They can see it really clearly. Yeah, Keith, you're a little insensitive. You need to be a little nicer. Maria, maybe you could be a little more... Pay- They'd give us great advice. And I think we really have to orchestrate that type of relationship around here. You can't wait till you find someone older to tell you stuff. As you get older, you don't have very many of those people. <laughs> so you better, you better be willing to take it from anybody. And, and truthfully, I've always, a lot of times, most advice is just beneficial because it's someone that's not you, particularly in a relationship. Um, so on child-rearing, the thing that we learned, just our couple of principles unified. We need to be unified. We need to know that every child is different. One size does not fit all. Uh, that comes true, though, with every relationship and everything. I mean, you've got to deal with people who they are and what their strengths and weaknesses are and what they need. You can't assume you just do this and it works. Um, I feel like our actions speak louder than words. As our kids get older, we, things that we did that we thought they didn't notice is what they value most and they share it about us. You know, like I got to church early most of the time, and I dragged the whole family there. And Alex now has an opinion. When he's going to be somewhere, yeah, be on time. That's what you do. You know, so it's sort of, but he just got that from our action, not from I told him to be on time. Uh, I, obviously, I think discipline is important and needed. Uh, but I think encouragement is the glue to a great relationship. I have two grown kids that are out of the house. And I spend most of my time finding things that I agree with what they're doing, and I encourage them. And, you know, I could give you a list on both kids of things I think they should do differently. But, and Marianne goes, you can talk to them about that, because the wives always want you to talk to the kids about something. <laughs> and I ask Marianne a couple of questions. Well, first of all, I say no. <laughs> but I go, do they know what they're doing I don't agree with? Yes. Do they know that they shouldn't do it? Yes then me talking about it is not going to help. So I find things to encourage them about. Now, if they do something that disrupts our family or an event or something, I will have a discussion. But on the other hand, if I get up the phone and go, okay, Alex, let's go through the checklist. You're doing this, this. Have you changed any of these things this week? No. I mean, I'm just not going to have a relationship. But when I encourage him, it's a great relationship. Like last week, we talked for 30 minutes about the value of renting a truck every time you take it out on a gig versus leasing the truck. But this is what he was doing at work. It was numbers, math. That's what we talked about for 30 minutes, and I just listened. And and he thinks we're the best friends ever now because I listen and I talk about whatever it is. And a lot of times, we talk about all kinds of different stuff like that. And I'm happy. Whatever he wants to talk about, we talk about. And, of course, the scripture I would go to would be Hebrews 3, 13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. So none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I would say, if you don't take anything away from this lesson, just encourage somebody today. Everybody needs it way more than you understand. And if the people closest to you need it more. 
And the person that you're more frustrated with probably still needs your encouragement. And it just, it, it's something I've been practicing more and more, and it really has helped. Okay, so God is moving us again. So you go, you're, Keith, you're moving to San Diego and La Jolla. That does not seem like a very challenging move. Okay, well, it is not a bad place for God to be moving us. But the truth is, uh, 20 years ago, I talked to the CFO there named Dave Malutnak, who just recently came back to be the chief operating officer for Hope Worldwide. He told me, yeah, I, would, I told him I never would want this job. I go, yeah, well, when, what you were doing did not look very fun to me compared to I like working in L.A., and the Hope, job, Hope Worldwide job did not look good. So I wasn't thinking of moving to San Diego or going to work for Hope Worldwide. I talked with David Blanco at a wedding, and then we were discussing that they needed somebody, and then I gave him four people that I thought should take the job, and I also told him why it wouldn't work for me. And then God put it on my heart to maybe I should do the job, and I made a couple phone calls. I don't do resumes. I just called and said, I think I can do this job, and I got hired. Uh, So it's one of those things where I didn't plan this, but God did plan it. And just like I said, all these things that happened when I moved from Phoenix 29 years ago, I did not know that's why I was moving to, to L.A. I don't know all the reasons why I'm moving to San Diego, but I know I'm leaving with a stronger marriage from L.A. I have close relationships with my friends and adult children. I'm leaving closer to God. I'm praying more about this stuff. I understand I cannot fix everything. I have to rely on God. Um... Uh, so God's in charge. We've learned that God is in charge. God's timing and plan are better than mine. For a lot of reasons, I think this is a good plan for us to move, but God made it evident. I'm getting the opportunity. I'm leaving the L.A. administration in great hands, uh, but I'm going to get to work for Hope Worldwide. We have, you know, 150 different chapters in the U.S. We're present in over 70 countries, and my financial administration and experience can help. I personally have, over the last year, I'm helping directly with the churches in Cambodia, and it's just a great experience. I'm eager to share what I've learned and learned from the disciples in San Diego. Uh, But the city, you know, of Los Angeles... Anyways, um, our heart is here. I'll have spent more of my life here than anywhere else. But I do think God is moving us. So my plan is to finish the race. Acts 20:24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that Jesus Christ has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I believe this is part of the race, the move that I'm making now, that God is pointing me. And so, thank you.
I wanted to share with everybody uh, my favorite scripture of transition. Um, I used to call it my favorite scripture, and then I realized how many of them I really loved. And so I have one for transition. And um, the first time I read it was 29 years ago in Boston uh, at a seminar. I got to go to Boston from Phoenix to a World Missions Evangelism Seminar in, uh, in Boston. Um, it was hosted by the Boston Church, and we were considering moving to Los Angeles at the time. And um, I was, you know, excited, and I was nervous. And uh, I found this scripture in Hosea 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 12. It says, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. And the the part that I saw that stayed with me that many years ago was break up your unplowed ground. Look at the life ahead of you and and break it up. Look at the life ahead of you and approach it in such a way that you're going to actually do something and you're going to upturned soil and you're going to plant things and you're going to sow the things in your life that later on will reap fruit, that will reap a harvest. And you want to be able to see that. And I found it so exciting. And I, I felt so ready. And of course, um, I was at this great, you know, seminar with all these church leaders from all over the world. And they, and they were so, you know, ambitious and they were so faithful and they were so inspiring. And it was a great time for us to, to pack up our belongings and make our way out here to Los Angeles. And then, sorry, I, I read it again. <laughs> 29 years later. <laughs> sorry. I got to see the fruit of the righteousness of God. I got to see all the seeds that we had planted. <laughs> And what God had done with them. And I was amazed. And I was humbled. And I'm grateful. We, as Keith talked about, we built friendships. We built, um, we, we helped build Bible talks and family groups and, and small small groups that became larger groups. And we, we had children and we grew up and we um, had them be friends with everybody else's children and I see some of those children now. Where's Cody? I held him in my arms when he was a little baby. And I try to be so much better prepared for this. But um, I just, I'm so grateful. <laughs> Wow, gosh, thanks. One one tissue is not going to do it today. But um, I I just really am so grateful. And I just always tell young people, you guys stick around. Just stick it out. Just things can be hard. Unplowed ground is hard. A, A plow is a huge metal instrument. Breaking up soil is difficult work. Breaking up the soil of your life and your future is hard. But when you look back and you see what God planted and you see what he raised up and you see what he harvested, it's always 
always worth it. It's worth every late night. It's worth every tear. It's worth every prayer. <laughs> um, I prepared this with so much um, peace in my heart. And I, I didn't let this kind of emotion come in at the time because I didn't know how it would overtake me. But this place has my heart. I feel it all the time. I'm going to be thinking of this group when I take communion, wherever I am. I'll remember communion with you, with my brothers and sisters here, with my family here. Um, I think that the unplowed ground that I want to break up as I move farther into my life is the unplowed ground of my own heart, the unplowed ground that only the cross can really plant seeds in and raise up a harvest in. The parts of my heart that I haven't addressed, my pride, my sin, just my rebellion toward God, that's the unplowed ground that I want to see God break up and remake into something beautiful and remake into a harvest that, that lasts, not just in the generation that we're in, but in the generations to come. I love so much that God reached out to Hosea and said, just keep going, just keep sowing, and look and see what God will do with that kind of righteousness. The cross creates in me so much humility and so much gratitude that Jesus was willing to take my shame and to take all my mistakes and all my weaknesses and bear them on the cross for me and make me clean, make me white as snow. Those things will always be meaningful to me, and it's meaningful that I get to share it here. It'll be meaningful when I get to share it with you all, wherever we are, when we all are together, when we're all rejoicing in eternity, that we stuck it out, that we kept breaking up that ground, that we kept sowing seed, that we kept trying to be righteous, that as flawed as we are, as imperfect as we are, as many times as we fall short, that God is faithful. And those are the things, really, that I'm going to be taking with me. The faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of the brothers and sisters here, the promise of a future, the promise of a hope, and those things I want to take with me to San Diego and share with people that I know uh, and that I don't know yet, and the experience that I had here that I'll always be able to hold very close to me. So I appreciate everyone here. Um, I will always love the West Side. I did not necessarily want to move to San Diego. I'm one of those people that loves L.A. and loved where I lived and was ready to be and was comfortable here, frankly. So maybe that's that's part of God's timing. Um, but I think this is an amazing part of the world, and I think this church is an amazing group of people, and I think you're going to do amazing, amazing things. And I want to hear all about it. And um, I wish everyone here the very, very best. And know that I love you and that I hope that God will bless you, and I hope I get to hear all about it. Thank you. I'm going to pray for the bread and the fruit of the vine. God, thank you so much.
that just the right time you saved each one of us. At just the right time when we need something, you present the opportunities that are necessary for us to grow closer to you. We thank you that uh, you want to to work with the unplowed ground in our hearts. I pray today that we just focus on that and the strength and the power that we get from the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness and how that we can rely on that to allow our lives to be changed and to become more righteous and more godly as you desire. Thank you so much for all the blessings you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.